Let me first say good evening and uh, how grateful I am for the opportunity to have a makeup appointment, I guess, uh, to make up for being having to miss last month. And I was uh, very upset that I wasn't going to be able to make it last month. I was really looking forward to be here to speak to you. I know so many people here and have acquaintances and friends and, and family that are here. And so I was really looking forward to that and hated that that didn't happen. But under the circumstances, I don't think you wanted me here anyways. Um, and so I'm grateful to be able to make up and be here this month. I really appreciate the songs that were just led. And I was thinking as we were singing that last song, that actually kind of fits really well in some ways is what we're going to talk about tonight. I know that my Redeemer lives. You see, what's really interesting is if we are confident, if we're confident, we're willing to sacrifice. Right? If I'm confident that Jesus is alive and He's in heaven and He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that's going to impact the way that I live my life every single day. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus... This is after Peter's confession about who he is, and there was some excitement around that. We understand that understanding who Jesus was, that he was the Son of God, was a powerful thing. And then Jesus immediately says, but I'm going to die. And then on the heels of that, it says in verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I learned some things as a parent that I didn't realize. I'm sure I did the same things as a kid, but you just notice these things. When you're, when you're raising your kids, I'm sure you guys have experienced this too. Uh, for example, when you tell the kids, hey, uh, you're going to go and you're going to go clean your room. And if you do a really good job and you do it just to the standards that we've laid out, everything's in its place, you can earn a, that's a donut. That's our reward at our house. If you do a good job, you earn a donut. That's, that's what drives things at our house, all right? Well, I remember when they were younger, I won't call names since they're here, uh, but one of them looked at me, he thought for a second, and he thought really intensely, and you could see the wheels turning in his head, and he said, How about five donuts. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how real that is, and how sometimes we really weigh things out in our minds as adults. You see that with kids, and you can see them processing that information in the same way with a consequence too. Hey, if you don't do this, you're going to have a consequence. Is it worth it? You can see them thinking, is it worth it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's worth it. Or maybe it's not to them on that occasion. We do this as adults. We're weighing in our mind every day, is it worth it? What God has asked me to do is clear. It's in His Word. I'm going to read this. I'm going to study this. Now I'm living in my life and something comes up and I have a choice to make. Is it worth it? And Jesus' statement here is really He's preparing His, his disciples who would be the apostles I'm about to die. Are you ready for that? It's going to be tough and challenging and it's going to require you to sacrifice yourself. As a matter of fact, it's interesting because 
Peter's the one who said, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And then Jesus says, you're going to have to deny yourself. And then later on, who's the one who denies Jesus instead of denying himself? You see, that challenge was there. And Jesus was reminding even his disciples and trying to prepare them for that. And of course, Peter repented, and that story is really uh, helpful for us to see in the change in Peter. But I was thinking about this in relationship to the lesson tonight, and I was thinking there's so many examples in Scripture. When we think about this phrase in Matthew chapter 16 here, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And there are lots of examples, and I, I, my mind goes to several in the Old Testament, but I was thinking just about some of the kings, and like King Saul. King Saul, in the very beginning of his kingship, Samuel told him they had, a, they had it set out, he was going to offer a sacrifice before they went off to battle, and this is in, second, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, and they're waiting, and they wait the appointed time for seven days, and the seventh day passes, and Saul decides it's been too long now, and he doesn't want to wait any longer. In that moment, he had a choice to make. He decided that convenience was more important than serving God. He waited out and he made a choice. He made choices later on too about the command to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Think about David. David had a choice when he was there, when the other kings were out to battle. It was the time of the year when the kings go out to battle. And David stayed in in 2 Samuel 11 and he saw Bathsheba. We're familiar with that story. He had a choice. And he waited out in his mind and decided what was more important. And in David's mind... The fleshly desire was more important than serving God and being righteous in God's eyes on that occasion. King Solomon in 1 Kings 13, and I want to read this one because I think this example is really, in 1 Kings 11, I'm sorry, where it talks about Solomon, his change of heart, and it tells us something about what he found to be more important and what it did to him. In 1 Kings 11, starting in verse 3, it says he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, in verse 4, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord God as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. And Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. And it goes on to say that he built high places for the gods. Now, in the, in the order in 1 Kings there, as we're following along, you're getting to this point, what's just happened before this in 1 Kings, in chapters 7, 6, before that, Solomon spent innumerable amounts of money building the temple for God. And the Bible tells us he wanted to do that and he set it on his heart to complete the building of the temple and the plans that God had given to David. And yet in his old age, the opinions of others, maybe we could word it that way, his spouses, which there's a whole other lesson maybe to talk about some of the things there, but they turned his heart away from the Lord. Something was more important to him than God's opinion. And God's will. Serving God is challenging. And I think it's important for us to ask this question. And it's important for us in a lot of ways, and we're going to lay some ways out tonight, that it's really important for us to think, what am I putting on my heart as more important? Am I exchanging my salvation for this thing that's in my life right now? What would you give up 
in order to heaven. Maybe we could ask it the opposite way, which is what Jesus asked. What would you give up heaven for? See, if we ask it that way, the answer is obvious, right? I'm assuming to a group of people of faith in this room, if we say, what would you give up heaven for? Everybody here tonight in this moment would say nothing, right? There's nothing that we would give up heaven for. That's why I like flipping the question around and asking it this way. What would you give up for heaven? You see, in the context, that's what Jesus is reminding His disciples that they're going to have to do. What are they going to have to give up for heaven? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Me. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to put yourself to the side and serve Me alone and follow Me. You notice it's, it's, it's different too. The way the question's worded, it's really specific here that I put on the screen. It's not what do I have to give up. There are some things that we would have to give up. If there's sin in our life and there's some things in our life that we need to purge, we have to give those things up. But that's not the question. What should I give up? I'm not weighing it out in that way necessarily. It's not what have other people given up. What will you give up? Jesus is telling His disciples this and implied in that statement to deny yourself. That's a willingness We have to willingly choose that we're going to deny ourselves to serve Jesus. To give our hearts to Him. To serve Him no matter what's being asked or what we could do to serve Him. Are we willing to give up even family? We're going to go through, I've got several things here, about five things that we're going to look at tonight that we would ask the question, are we willing to give up? Turn over to Ezra chapter 10. I'm going to make this point from Ezra because I think this is a really impactful example, at least it is to me, to the extent to which they were willing to follow God's instructions here. Ezra chapter 10. And I'm going to start reading in verse 9. Now, Ezra has called them to to reconcile with God, to be made right with God. There are some things that are wrong and he's trying to pull them back to God. And it says in verse 9, So all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days, and it was the ninth month on the twentieth of the month, and all the people sat up in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and the heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful and have married foreign wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do His will and separate yourselves from the peoples of the land from the foreign and from the foreign wives. And then all the assembly replied, with a loud voice, that's right. As you have said, so it is our duty to do. But there are many people. It is the rainy season and we are not able to stand in the open, nor can the task be done in one or two days. It transgressed greatly in this matter. Let our leaders represent the whole assembly and let all those cities who have married foreign wives come at appointed times together with the elders and the judges of each city until the fierce anger of our God on account of this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Ashel, and Jehaziel, the son of Tivkah, opposed this, and Meshalem and Shebatai, the Levite, supporting them. The whole congregation except for two people supported this. Do you understand what's happening in the context? Ezra is calling them to separate from their spouses. Why? Because what they had done was against God's law. They had a choice to make. 
And don't you know, they were weighing it out to decide if it was going to be worth it to them. What are they willing to do to serve God? Well, the whole assembly said, that's right. And let's make a plan so that we can do this because we want to serve God. And I read that and that impacts me just incredibly because I can't imagine being so willing to just say, okay, God said we got to do this as it pertains to your spouse even. Hopefully I would have that kind of faith, right? Hopefully we would be willing to do whatever it took and that's my point, to separate ourselves from things that are keeping us from serving God completely. In this instance, it was the spouse that they had married because God had specifically told the Israelites not to marry anyone from other nations. And it wasn't just one or two people who had done it. There were a lot of people, so many people that they say it will take us more than two days to carry all this out legally to separate us from our spouse, spouses according to God's command. That meant that they were going to have to give something up. They were going to have to give something of great value up, right? If they valued the relationship the way that I value my marriage, that was going to be hard and emotional and challenging. Why were they so ready to do that? Because they valued God more. That has to be the only reason. It's the only reason that they would jump at that because they understood who God was and they valued Him more than that relationship. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 10, anyone who loves his father or mother is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his brother or sister more than me is not worthy of me. It's a challenge there for us, for everyone. Not just for the people who are reading that and hearing that initially, but for us today to think, are there relationships? that I'm holding on to so tightly that it's keeping me from serving God. Just because it was sinful, and we read this in hindsight, and we say, oh, well, it was a sin, so they should just stop sinning and serve God. You ever think that when you're reading the Bible? You read some of these stories and you're like, obviously God said don't do that. How could you sin against God? We read it kind of removing ourselves from the reading, right? We're not thinking about our struggles and our difficulties and the things that might be challenging for us to give up. We just look at that and think, well, yeah, they should have divorced their wives. God told them not to do that in the first place. Why in the world would they ever have done that? Why would we ever have sinned against God? On this occasion, they did what was pleasing to God no matter the personal cost to them. No matter the emotional challenges and cost to them. They made a sacrifice. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus helps us with this as well in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. That's where we're going to start reading here. And Jesus says here, He says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, You fools, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. 
Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge, the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. You have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust in her heart already has committed adultery with her. Excuse me, let me, verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. When I was thinking, when Coach Merle asked me to speak originally, he said, hey, we're having this winter series and I want you to speak on something that you think we need to hear that would be good for us. And it's always kind of hard for me because you know, that could be any number of things at a group this size and anything that you might need to hear. But I was the more I thought about it, the more I was thinking about what challenges us really right now. Maybe it's what challenges us always and not just right now. But that's where this passage comes in. Because I think now, maybe more than ever, that's probably an exaggeration. I didn't live before now. That's all my experience can give me. But now we're really struggling with what our heart is doing versus what we're showing everybody else we're doing. Right? So maybe you have social media, maybe you don't. But if not, you still have the internet and you have access to the internet and you have it way too conveniently. Right? And so we are struggling with our hearts. Because we have to make decisions in private on a daily basis. What am I going to give up in exchange for my salvation? What's more important than my soul? Maybe it's anger with a brother. Did you see how Jesus words that in the statement where He talks about making something right? He says, if you remember your brother has something against you. I think that's interesting because... My challenge is, I'm always remembering what I have against my brother or sister, right? I know what I've got against them. But Jesus flips it around because He wants us to be thinking about other people first anyways. So if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, you go and make it right. Who else is going to know about that? Except for you and the other person involved. It's a matter of the heart. How is your heart convicted to make you weigh it out and say, this is worth it. It's worth it for me to go and fix this. What about lust that Jesus talks about here? Where He's correcting them, where they say, you, you, you should not commit adultery. And that's what the command is, right? But Jesus says, there's something deeper that's an issue here. I'm going to tell you, this one is an issue that is it's tearing our society apart but besides that it's tearing our faith for those who have faith it's tearing us apart and i don't think that can be overstated and i could keep going and and have two or three lessons about this specific issue and the challenges that it is causing us right now today because in the privacy of our room 
in the privacy of our home, in the privacy of our car, and the who's going to know? Who's going to know? And nobody can find out. So it doesn't matter if nobody can find out. It matters. Jesus is saying right here that it matters because it's showing that your heart is not wholly committed to the Lord. What was the problem for Solomon? He practiced evil in the sight of the Lord because his heart wasn't wholly devoted to the Lord like his father David. And then Jesus, in making such a compelling argument here with this specific point as it pertains to lust in our heart, He says, hey, if your right eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. What's better? What's more valuable? That you your whole body goes into hell or that part of your body goes into heaven? Now, I don't think He's actually advocating us damaging ourselves in that way. I think He's trying to make a point. He's trying to make us think and think seriously about what is more important. Is this sin that I'm doing in private that nobody knows about and nobody's ever going to find out? I mean, let's be real. Maybe somebody, sometimes somebody finds out. Eventually, I think things do come to light. But we have to operate under the assumption that maybe nobody does find out. By the way, there's a word. That's integrity, right? There's a word for that. What will we do? What will you do? What will I do? How are we going to operate? What sacrifices are we willing to make? What are we willing to cut out of our lives? And honestly, like our cell phones, for some of us, maybe that is like cutting off a part of our body right now, right? What are we willing to remove from our life so that we can go to heaven? That's what we're weighing out. Are we willing? to make those sacrifices? Are we willing to cut things out of our lives so that we can be pure and holy in God's sight? What about our stuff? If we keep reading in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 38, I'm going to skip down a little bit to verse 38 here. And he says in verse 38, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also to him. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. The point that Jesus is making here is you've heard that it was said, Get what's yours. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If somebody harms you, you harm them back equally. And he's quoting from the law, but the Pharisees had started to like manipulate the way that was used. And so now it's become something that's very legalistic in their thinking. Jesus says, all right, let's strip all that away. How should we really think about this? What's our goal? We're trying to go to heaven, right? So what does Jesus say about somebody who's seeking to go to heaven? Well, somebody who's going to heaven isn't worried about their possessions. They aren't worried about how they're treated. They're worried about their goal and where they're going. Notice what he says here. This is really interesting. I like this example. He says, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. I like this example because what Jesus is referencing here is something really specific that they had to deal with in the first century in Jerusalem. They had Roman soldiers who would be stationed and they had mile markers along the road and the Roman soldiers could just tell somebody, hey, carry my stuff. And they didn't have a choice. 
So they had to pick the stuff up, the soldier stuff, and they had to walk. And they were required to walk one mile. That was the requirement. Well, that's a real thing. No, no Jew liked any of the Romans anyways, right? They didn't like them being in Israel. They didn't like them being in their land. And they certainly didn't like doing anything for the soldiers. Jesus says, hey, if he asked you to get his stuff and you have to go a mile, offer to go too. Sacrifice of your time. Sacrifice your pride and your ego in this relationship to show them love and compassion and care. What about giving up our stuff? Right? Jesus talks about it in the, in, the, in the terms of if somebody asks for your shirt and wants to take it, really it's a law term, right? He sues you for your shirt. He's like, instead of going to court, just give him your coat too. I, I don't think that way. I don't think that we were trained to think that way just in this society. It's very much, at least this is my perception. So I'm speaking on my perception. It's This is my stuff and I'm going to protect my stuff and I'm going to do the least amount that I have to do, whatever's required of me. And Jesus is saying, pull all the me's out of that. What can you do? What are you willing to do? What will you give up? What's really important? Is all my stuff really that important? You've heard the adage, right? You don't see very many Hearst with U-Hauls behind them, right? Is our stuff really that important that we can't sacrifice or give? Give of our stuff, give of our time, give up things that we consider to be ours? If we were to like set out a pole, pass around a piece of paper, and you were to say, all, like, is all your stuff God's, yes or no? Everybody in here, you check yes, right? You know that. There's Again, we know intellectually, all this is God's, all of it's God's. I understand that, and I'm going to operate that way until it's actually my stuff. <laughs> until it's something that I really, really like and treasure, and then it's mine, and I earned it, and I worked really hard for it, and it's mine. So, we may not say that out loud, right? Nobody ever says that kind of stuff out loud. I'm just thinking about how my heart operates sometimes and how I have to correct myself and change the way that I think. This is a challenging one to put in perspective because we've been so blessed. And we've been so blessed for so long that I have grown up and never really been challenged in any way. I mean, yes, I have people that were in my life as a kid who didn't believe exactly the same thing as me. But I've never experienced somebody threatening me to throw me in prison or to put me in death, put me to death because I believe in Jesus. Right? Just because I believe in Jesus. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Because he challenges us to think about what's most valuable, but he talks about it in a way that says, what are we willing to suffer? What are we willing to suffer for Jesus? In talking about faith and the reward 
and the hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus, the inheritance that we've been promised. He says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Now, Peter doesn't really make that sound as serious as it was because even though if now for a little while you've been distressed by various trials meant beating and being thrown in prison and maybe even being put to death, that doesn't necessarily come across in the English here and what Peter's written for us. That's what he's talking about. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. What's more important? The outcome of our faith is what we're striving for. And notice what He does here with two with one object, right? Gold, the most precious, most valuable metal that we have on earth. Notice how he handles gold. <clears throat> he says your faith is being tested is more precious than gold. All right, so, so our faith should be more valuable than the most valuable thing. But also the very next thing, he says gold, which is perishable. Even the most precious thing in this life, the most valuable thing in this life is perishable. Our faith is not. Our faith, when it's completed, brings about salvation. That's invaluable and imperishable. And all those things that Peter's talking about, what would we suffer? And you know, it would be one thing for Peter to just say that, right? To just say like, hey, you guys have got to be willing to suffer, but not have any examples of Peter really suffering. Except that from the very beginning, Peter suffered, right? In the very beginning, uh, right after the first sermon in Acts chapter 4, Peter heals a, a lame beggar at the temple complex. And immediately he and John are arrested. And after being arrested and the, the council is kind of, you just kind of see their hypocrisy going back and forth there. But what happens is they say in verse 18 of Acts chapter 4, and when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Which, that's pretty powerful, by the way. Because I've been trained to think that Peter and John, like, man, they're the great apostles, right? Like, who would dare to stand against them? Who would dare to say anything against them? That's exactly what was happening here. Peter and John were two fishermen who were following and proclaiming some guy who had died and most of the world thought he had died, but they were saying, no, he's still alive. And by the way, he was just a carpenter. You see the, the complex here, the, the, the situation? And here's the council. Now the council to the Jews, this is everything. This is where the law was established. These are the ones who upheld the law. And by the way, the law was the law of God, right? That was how they determined that. And so they were weighing things out based on the Old Testament, the law of God. So everybody looked to them and respected them as God's servants. And so they tell Peter and John, don't speak Jesus' name anymore. And even in that situation, Peter spoke up and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And when they threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people. 
because all were glorifying God for what had happened. And you see the hypocrisy in the council there. Everybody's glorifying God, but they're going to stand against it. Another thing. Later on in chapter 5, they get arrested again because they kept talking about Jesus. Because what they said was true. They couldn't stop talking about Jesus. They had to talk about Jesus. And so uh, they're imprisoned again. And in this imprisonment, they pull them in and they have a council that comes together. And one of the leaders of the council says, look, just let them go. If this is real, it'll stick and we should probably believe it too. If it's not real, look, there have been other people who have claimed to be the Christ and they've disappeared and nobody even knows who they are anymore. And so let's just see what happens. There's some wisdom there. That's not actually what they do. So they took his advice, verse 40 of chapter 5, relatively. They took his advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them, that's beating them, they beat them, and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. So now they've been arrested for the second time. They're denying the people who held the, who like the majority of the Jews held up as like the law of God. <laughs> they're, they're denying them. They're determined to preach Jesus and now they've been beaten. And notice what it says, verse 41. They went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You see, this is a challenging one because I haven't experienced this firsthand. I've not had anybody throw me in prison. I've really never had anybody, hey, you don't talk about Jesus anymore. But that's what they were living in. That's the world that they were living in. And our faith still has to be more precious if things change and that becomes the situation that we live in in this country, in this state, and whatever. If, if it comes to a point to where there are people who are saying, hey, stop talking about Jesus. Is heaven worth it? Is heaven worth it? Are we going to still exercise our faith? Are we still going to rejoice to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus? That's a whole different level, isn't it? Well, finally tonight, I want to think about this from a, a different perspective a little bit. I think it's really applicable. Turn over to Matthew chapter 19. We live in a culture and a society that is really concerned with what it's my right to do and to believe and to practice. And I'm not allowed to tell anybody else what it's their right to do. And you shouldn't tell me what it's my right to do because I have my rights and they're mine and I should get to live based on that understanding. In Matthew chapter 19. Now, Matthew chapter 19, Jesus has just finished answering some questions on divorce. And the way he answers them is really compelling, but that's not really what we want to look at tonight. The disciples come in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 19, and they, they, they understand the, the significance of this. Uh, the disciples said to him in verse 10, if the relationship with the, uh, of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. Now, Jesus has just talked about the significance of a man and a woman staying together for life and that divorce for any reason is unlawful. And, he's, and the disciples understand how serious this statement is by Jesus. They say, hey, if this is the way it is, maybe it's just better not to marry. 
Notice how Jesus answers that statement. He doesn't say, no, you're wrong. <laughs> Notice what he says. He says, but he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. What did Jesus say? When the disciples say, Jesus, this is really hard. I don't think anybody can do this. And Jesus said, yeah, you're right. There are going to be lots of people who can't. And they made a choice not to do that. And notice how he progresses through this in understanding that a eunuch is somebody who's not going to be married. Maybe they were made that way. But then that last one is so compelling to me. He says, they're eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. We live in a society that tells us that our sexual orientation should be whatever we feel it should be. Our right to exercise that sexual relationship outside of marriage is free and nothing wrong with and we should do that because, because we feel like it's the right thing to do. And yet Jesus is teaching, hey, there are some people who for the kingdom of heaven decided they're never going to get married. Never going to exercise that right. I'm going to leave that alone because I want to go to heaven. I think that statement puts the sexual preference discussion in a whole different light. For me, it does. Because whatever that might be in your heart, in your mind, whatever, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven has to be worth more than whatever we want. Whatever we prefer. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you're single and you've never been married, but you've been diligently serving God. Praise God for that. That's just as powerful as somebody who spent 50 years being married and serving God. If you're serving God faithfully and you've committed your life to Him, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to be single. There is nothing wrong with that. It's okay to get married and it's okay to get married and not have kids as long as you're serving God. It's okay to get married and have lots of kids. What's more important? Going to heaven. Going to heaven. Are we willing to give up what might be considered our right in order to serve God? Can we give up something that it might be okay in some circumstances? We're talking about something that's not okay according to God's law, but Paul even puts it in a whole nother perspective. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, if eating meat causes my brother to stumble, I would never eat meat again. You know, Paul didn't think there was anything wrong with eating meat. In that conversation, that discussion, it's talking about the meat that had been sacrificed to idols, and there were some who wouldn't eat it because they understood the significance of maybe what it had been sacrificed to. And Paul says, hey, I have the right to do that, but if it causes my brother to stumble, I'm not going to touch it. I'll never eat meat again. Some of us are sitting here thinking, like, man, I don't know if I could give up meat. <laughs> That's an integral part of my diet. <laughs> That's where I get all my protein, right? No, Paul says, what's more important? For Paul, his brother or sister going to heaven was more important than it was his right to do. He goes on and, and makes even another statement for himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15 where he talks about not receiving the support that he could have received for the sake of the brethren at Corinth. He doesn't take that support for the sake of the brethren. 
so that they wouldn't stumble. What did he sacrifice? Well, he had to make tents in Corinth. Do you remember that in the book of Acts? He, he spent time making tents with Aquila and Priscilla because that's what he needed to do for the sake of the brethren. See, once again, Paul's not teaching something that he's not willing to do himself, but to make the sacrifice and to give up what is his right. What profit is it to you or to me if we gain the whole world? If we get everything we ever wanted in this life, maybe it's not really monetary. Sometimes for some people, that's their goal, that's their dream. They get all the money in the world and that's what they think is going to make them happy. Maybe for you, it's a vision of what you wanted your life to look like. And from a child, you had this picture of how your life was going to go and maybe you've sacrificed serving God to make that picture of what you wanted your life to look like happen. That could happen. What has it profited you if you gain the whole world but you forfeit your soul? I want to end in Matthew 19. I want to end here. Hopefully you're already open there. I want to end with this story here of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. And I just want to point a couple things out here. In verse 16 of Matthew chapter 19, it says, And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then the young man said to Jesus, he said, Which ones? And Jesus said, You should not commit murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? I'm going to stop there for just a second because I want us to see that this young man is asking the right questions. He really is. Now, he says all these things I've kept. Maybe that's a stretch. I don't know that maybe he's being completely honest with himself, but that's not really the point. He's asking the right question. What do I do to inherit eternal life? What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. What did he just do? He just gave up heaven for his property, for his stuff. Because it was more valuable to him. In Luke's account of this story, it tells us that Jesus says there's one thing you still like. One thing. Here's this one thing that's in your life. I like, I like the way that's worded because it makes me think. Maybe we are trying our most diligent to serve God and to be faithful to Him. But maybe there's one thing. And maybe that one thing is only something that you know about and nobody else knows about. Are you going to do what it takes to get that one thing out of your life? Or to change that one thing so that you can go to heaven? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Hopefully there's nothing that we would give up for our soul. But maybe, maybe there's some things in our life right now that are actively causing us to give up our reward in heaven. Maybe you're here tonight and you realize that you're sinning in the way that you're living. Maybe it's something that you're doing in private and nobody else knows about. You need to stop. 
You need to stop and you need to beg God's forgiveness. And if you need help stopping, you need to ask somebody for help. We have an opportunity to ask for the prayers of the congregation. If you need the prayers of the congregation, that should be a blessing. And a wonderful opportunity for us to know, hey, a brother or sister is in need and we might be able to help them if for no other reason than to pray for them. Maybe you're here tonight and you need the prayers of the congregation or maybe you just need to ask for God's forgiveness. As we sing this song for our encouragement, maybe you just need to stop before you sing and beg for God's mercy so that you can leave here being in a right relationship with God. Maybe there's somebody here tonight and you've never obeyed the gospel. Why are you waiting? What's keeping you from committing your life to Christ so that you can earn that eternal reward that's so valuable and so precious? The most valuable and most precious thing that we have. If there's anything you need or any help that we can be, if we let that be made known, we're going to stand and sing a song for our encouragement.